This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Sajman. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and this is the Goodbye Coach K. Hello, Coach Staley Sports Business Podcast, the Sportacast. Yes. All right. I thought you were going to say the stuffy nose, the the froggy throat. <laughs> Only I, you know, I go into Manhattan two days last week and some in our office have befallen <laughs> COVID, right? Where, you know, we, we keep getting notices that uh, somebody else and I hear my friends as well. My son's baseball coach has it. I mean, it just seems like it's everywhere. And the other day, I mean, I start to feel like, oh, uh, you know, stuffy. Uh, throaty. I'm like, uh oh. Take the test. Negative. It, you know, just uh, did another one. Negative. Total sinus infection, flu type thing. A good so, reminder that you can get sick with other things uh, during the pandemic as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm all uh, vaxxed and boosted and all that. I'm like, do I want to get it so that it's, you know, I, I can't believe I haven't had it yet. And all, I mean, all the years. Maybe you have. There's a good chance that you just didn't realize, yeah. If I was asymptomatic way back in the day, I mean, we were there at the start of this pandemic and we were in the city a lot and at the office and on the subway and boy, it makes it, I I just seem like there's no way I didn't have this thing. Yeah, but it's a good thing that you don't right now. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I'll take it. I mean, the the thought of having to stay in my room, you know, for two weeks or whatever it is these days, uh, it would make it very tough. But so you, you said it's the goodbye coach K. And by the way, did you see, I love the, the fitting, like everybody was running to get it, but when he was on the back of the golf cart going, being taken away from the Superdome? Yeah, I, I did. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But I read it. I'm sure he said it to more than one person. I don't know. But of course, Ian O'Connor has the book out on Coach K, so maybe got him in a private moment. But what he said about being in the arena, and, and I loved this. I really did. He was just asking about, you know, how do you sum up? How do you look back? What do you remember? All that whole thing. And Shashevsky said, uh, I'll just enjoy, you know, being in the arena. And it's, what do they say? You know, whether you win or lose, you know, those in the arena know that, that they were there. They did it. They tried. And I, I can see him. Like, that seemed like a, you know, a very West Point, Sun Tzu, the art of war response from Mike Shashevsky. that his takeaway is that I spent a long time in the arena. And you're not going to win them all. But you will have known that you were there and you did. That seemed yeah. like a right takeaway from Mike Krzyzewski. 
Yeah, it's interesting. And and uh, you're right. Forty years coaching at at the highest level, you spend a lot of time in the arena and a lot of time in in the big arenas, right? The ones that are hosting Final Fours, the ones that are hoping host hosting championships. Um, a pretty amazing, an amazing career, and also Scott, an amazing way for it to end. I, neither you nor I have have college basketball fandom at all. I don't think. But if you were a UNC fan. Could you have scripted this any better than to be the team Oof. that handed Coach K his last home loss and then handed Coach K the last loss of his career in the Final Four, no doubt? Kind of a storybook way for this to end if you are uh, the arch rival of, of, of the Duke Blue Devils. Game, set, match on that rivalry. And it was almost like exact records, the whole thing. But to close it out with two Carolina losses like that, oof, that... That I know you're in the arena, but that one's got to sting a little, little bit more than the others. That's a, that's a tough place to be. I, I agree with you. But more so, by the way, when Kurt Badenhausen wrote his story, I didn't realize. I mean, I knew, I knew Coach K did well. But for some reason, I never sat down to try to aggregate. Hey, over the years, whatever. More than $100 million in career earnings for Coach K. Yeah, it's interesting that that's your reaction, Scott, because mine was the opposite. I really was said, kind oh, of... Only? I was kind of shocked. Yeah, for, from from the twenty years from two thousand to, to two thousand and twenty, Coach K made eighty seven million dollars, uh, which is I would have put that number at at one hundred and fifteen to one hundred and twenty. Coach K wasn't making over two million dollars a year until two thousand and seven, um, which is also a number that that kind of shocked me. Um, I, I think we'll look back on this kind of the way that you look back on if you think about the the career earnings for tennis players. Right, it's just so heavily skewed towards the modern era because they get paid so much more. T- again, coach was he wasn't making more than two million t- until two thousand seven. Right now, if you're a, a a middling power five coach that has had some success, you're probably making two million dollars or more. Uh, so, so again, yeah, I was actually honestly surprised that it wasn't higher than the the roughly hundred million that he's made in his career. Because again, I would have thought it, it'd, it'd be way higher. I want him to hear this in real time. Todd Barish is calling me on Slack right now, so I'm not answering the phone. So when he listens back to the podcast, he'll be like, oh, wow. He really, we can he hear it vibrating. It. I can, oh, you can hear it vibrating? Okay, for the world, that is Todd Barish, our head of partnerships, calling me on Slack. I'm going to ignore that call, and I'll, I'll call him back later. Uh, but you also mentioned, you know, and welcome Staley. That's Don Staley. And I, years ago, do you remember the column I wrote for our previous outlet where... Pat Summit was doing so well at Tennessee and just sort of had all the respect in the world. And I went to MSG and I was sitting with Donnie Walsh. I don't remember if you remember Donnie Walsh, respected basketball executive, used to be at Indiana, then he ran the Knicks. And I'm just started to talk to Donnie about everything Pat Summit had accomplished and uh, how much respect that she had gained and garnered throughout the industry. And, and then I hit him with the whopper at the very end when I was like, well, would you consider her for the Knicks? And, you know, Donnie looked at me like, oh, you're just trying to get me in trouble now. But Donnie, he just said, no, it was just like almost like dismissive. Like, what are you nuts? No, like, no, that, that, that wouldn't work. I'm not so sure. We have Becky Hammond, right? Assistant with the San Antonio Spurs. Now she's in the W. I get it. But I could see Dawn Staley commanding the respect of any locker room in the NBA. Do you think she'll get the chance? Uh, I, I don't know if Dawn will get the chance. I'm not sure if she wants the chance, but I, at some point soon, Scott, we're definitely going to see 
a female coach in in the in, in the NBA. It, it does feel. I'm glad you mentioned Becky Hammond. It does feel in some ways that she's kind of being groomed to to take over that job at some point uh, soon. If it were to become I mean, to, re- to replace Pop at San Antonio, yeah, to, to to replace Pop or or, or somewhere else. Um, and if you were to ask me which of the major sports in the U.S. I think we'll have a, a female coach, major men's sports. We'll have a female coach first. The NBA would be the the heavy, heavy betting favorite there, Scott. I mean, it's 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 hard to argue that Don Staley is not one of the best college basketball coaches in the country, ma- man or woman, and she's kind of compensated that way, Scott. Uh, just to kind of bring this back to the, the money for a second, Don Staley is making three million dollars a year. That's significantly more than Hubert Davis, the coach at UNC. Is making as, as he plays in the or he his team plays in the in in the championship game on Monday night. Um, the, the the top tier of of women's basketball coach Gina Oriema makes I think slightly more than Don Staley was, but we're at the point now where top female basketball coaches are making in in the, in the high twos, low three million dollars a year, and that is comparable again with with a lot of men's coaches at fairly prominent programs. So yes, the NBA probably pays or certainly would pay more than, than those numbers there. But if, if the trajectory stays up in the way it has in women's basketball, um, I do think that the economic reasons to stay coaching in women's basketball are also kind of increasing as well, which is a good thing. All right. As the driving force behind the Sportico NCAA financial database, I will, I will go to you and go, please go check that out. Cause you work so hard to get it done. I've been you and Lev Akabas. So uh, Daniel Libet, you guys work so hard to get it. If if you want to go down the rabbit hole of finances, uh, financial disclosures for all the teams and the sports, you know, you could spend several hours there just comparing schools with one another. But if we're going to talk about how much she is paid, we do need to at least look at the other side of the ledger and say how much revenue does the program generate, right? And we saw some really good numbers for the women's tournament here. How far are we? I do get the sense of this momentum that not only corporate interest is growing in women's sports, private investment is growing in women's sports, but that we're going to see the day where that the the revenue generated, if given equal opportunity on the on the women's side and the men's side, might be equal. Look, we're, we're far, and I'm glad you plugged the database, Scott, because while you were talking, I just pulled up the women's basketball ticket sales uh, for 2019-2020, so the, the season before the pandemic, just to give you a sense here. The, 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 the school that sells the most women's basketball tickets, not going to surprise you here, is Connecticut. $2.3 million in tickets they sold in, in that full year. Tennessee is number two at, at 1.2. Oregon next at, at 1.2 as well. There's only three women's basketball teams in the country, public schools, uh, so, so bear in mind, this does not include schools like Baylor and Stanford. Uh, there's only three public schools in the country that sell more than $2 million of women's basketball tickets uh, in a year. If I shift that over to the men's side, Kentucky is number one at $22 million. Kansas and UNC, no coincidence here, Scott, that the two finalists here Gee, are they're two, still playing, yeah. Two, number two and number three. Um, you have to go down to, uh, essentially go down to number 61. There are 61 men's basketball programs uh, in, in, in FBS public schools that, that are selling over uh, over a million tickets, a million dollars in tickets per game. So again, th- th- there is a big, a big kind of gap here. It still exists. I would imagine if you were to look at South Carolina's under Don Staley, that number is ticking upwards and upwards. And there's obviously other revenue uh, generation besides just ticket sales. But there's no question that Don Staley, her team is not generating from a revenue standpoint, the amount of money that a lot of coaches on the men's side uh, are generating, but I would also argue that there is a lot of things that don't show up in these balance sheets 
that are extremely valuable to the University of South Carolina, right? There's a lot of winning a a national championship on ESPN um, that generates a lot of interest in your school that doesn't exactly show up again on on, on the balance sheet for the athletic department. We saw saw that that at St. Peter's, right? Even though you perfect, you, you went, you were on your soapbox and your perch about that it being a commuter school, and you didn't think it would have such an effect. <laughs> I, however, went the other way and said that sports is such a front porch that I think it would drive applications. And thank you uh, to, to Rochelle, uh, the uh, AD there, who for letting us know that they indeed did see a surge in applications because of the NCA tournament. That's right. exactly right. So, so again, there, there is when, when your school is doing amazing things on television and winning national championships. Um, and a lot of people are tuning in and I'm fascinated, Scott, to see the numbers on, on the Sunday night game between UConn and, and South Carolina on that front. But again, there's a lot of benefits to having Don Staley and having a good women's basketball program that maybe don't exactly show up in the traditional ways we think they do on the balance sheet, which would be ticket sales, which would be media payments, and which would be donations from from alumni and boosters. I go back to the John Skipper. Give me the eyeballs. Let me figure out how to monetize it. You're just seeing this drumbeat of these these women events, whether whether it's soccer, basketball, volleyball, softball. You just see this growing drumbeat of serious aggregation of eyeballs. Somebody's going to figure out a way to, to monetize all those eyeballs. And to put a bow on this conversation, the, the NCAA sells rights, TV rights to the women's basketball tournament in a massive group of about 30 different championships, which includes the Final Four. It includes the cha- softball championships, yep. volleyball, the, the College World Series. I, am, I would be shocked if when those rights are up in the next couple of years, the NCAA does not at least spin out the women's basketball rights and make companies like ESPN and Fox bid on that as a separate package because it is supremely undervalued when you look at the way the NCAA sold it in this bigger group. And the, and, and the NCAA could make a lot more money if it decided to, to kind of do this separately from all the other things. Well, let's we have to have a little chuckle in that this is also the first time that the women's tournament has been able to use the March Madness moniker uh, on the floor. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, again, all things have not been equal when one will say, oh, nobody watches, oh, nobody goes. The argument we hear back is give it the same promotion, give it the same hype, give it the same time, give it the same channel, and you'll see exactly what apples to apples creates. And I, I think, think we're going to see it a lot right. closer than people think. All right, you said great stuff on the floor. Now let's talk to uh, some some not so great stuff. Uh, Dan Snyder uh, and the Washington Commanders. I, I, I didn't think I'd remember to say Commanders. I'm like still thinking Washington football team and then quickly I'm like, wait, what did they switch to? Okay, Commanders. Uh, yeah, more, more news out and this stuff could really get him in trouble. I did not believe at the outset of the first investigation about all harassment claims that anybody would push Dan Snyder to surrender his team. However, we are hearing further allegations or reports of further allegations that perhaps there were two sets of ledgers kept, uh, in particular how, how he dealt with like club seats and visitor seats and revenue and how much went to the other owners that needed to be shared. Now you're starting to get to a point where the other owners, if if they go to Roger Goodell and say, Kamish, this is not okay with me. Enough is enough. Like the other stuff, I could see them being like, all right, slap him, uh, slap him on the wrist, whatever you want to do. He's taking money out of our pockets. That is not okay. Mr. Snyder, as he likes to be called, is dancing in some very dangerous territory, Evan. 
I think that's exactly right. And, and to uh, to essentially explain to people kind of what what, what is at odds here, because um, you just mentioned kind of the investigation, Scott, the, the, the specifics here being that the NFL, every team in the NFL pays essentially 40% of their home gate, so ticket sales, into a pot that gets shared by everybody at the end of the year. It's one of the ways in which the NFL distributes money so that the fact that the Cowboys make so much more money than the Bengals does not kind of show up in the financial disparity between the two clubs as much. Um, and the accusation here, which the House Committee on Oversight and Reform is looking into, is essentially that it, when it came time to, 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 to disclose and distribute that money, the Washington commanders under Dan Snyder chose not to, to reveal all of it. So they were keeping a larger percentage than they should have. Uh, and I totally agree with you, Scott, as, as bad as some of the other allegations have been into the workplace culture in Washington. And, and as you and I discussed on this show a few weeks ago, new allegations surfaced uh, in Congress a few months ago that directly tied Dan and his own personal conduct into, into some of that. As bad as those have been, the, the NFL has been kind of clear, I think, over the past decade in terms of the kind of things that they're willing to protect, they're willing to protect their fellow owners over and the kind of things that they're not. And this is something that is directly taking money out of the pockets of Dan Snyder's peers. And that feels like something, something that kind of threatens the integrity of, of the league wide. That seems like the kind of thing that they are going to pay attention to. Sadly, I think more so than a lot of the other problems that seem to have arisen at this football team under Dan Snyder's ownership. Now, I know people, and I am not referring to Dan Snyder specifically. I'm just talking in general. I know, and you know, and we all know, because we've seen it, that people do dumb things. But, man, this doesn't make sense to me. You're talking about building a brand new facility. You own a marquee NFL team in a great market. Your appreciation on that asset knows no bounds. Why would you? I what number could this possibly be? You, uh, last time I was talking, and you were looking up the financial database there of the college teams. How fast can you get to the Green Bay Packers financial disclosure and let me know what they share on a national revenue? You know, for for their seats or whatever. It it just seems so inconsequential, and this is why I scratch my head at Tad when I heard it because. I'm really trying, like, there's right, there's wrong, there's risk, reward. This doesn't make sense in any way to risk your ownership of a team for what in essence would be stealing from your partners. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, and the the Green Bay Packers don't break out exactly where all the money comes from. They they just shared their three hundred and thirty million dollar national revenue share. Most of that, as you know, yeah, we Scott, can break out the TV. TV. Yeah, so so you're right. I think there's. I think if you were to look at this, and, and again, we don't know. One, we don't know how much is involved here. Allegedly, we should also make it clear that 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 the team has denied any of this, and and and, and we're in, in, way in the early stages of anything kind of any truth coming out, I think, in, in, in the broad scale. But I think you're right. There's no, whatever amount of money here, there's no, there's nothing probably worth running this kind of risk if you're Dan Snyder, right? And 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 this is a, an owner who a lot of people, for a lot of reasons in, in the public, uh, are, are pretty frustrated with. Um, and it makes the, the seat even hotter. You and I both, Scott, were, were at the Super Bowl this year in L.A., when Roger Goodell was asked specifically about um, does the NFL have the ability to kick an owner out, he kind of danced around the issue. I think we do. The truth is that he they do. The, the NFL owners, owners do. have yes. the ability to make a, a peer sell. 
Um, and again, just to, to hammer this home, this is the kind of thing that, that rises to that bar. I was thinking about some of the player punishment. There's a reason that Calvin Ridley, who bet a couple thousand dollars on a couple games, got, got a year long suspension and Kareem Hunt, who was videotaped, uh, kicking and beating a woman in a Cleveland hotel room, got a, got a six game suspension. And, and the reason there is that while one of those things is obviously way worse conduct than the other. The, the 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 Calvin Ridley example is the thing that NFL owners look at as a threat to the entire league. It's not just somebody acting poorly. It is something that kind of undermines the $17, $18 billion operation that is the National Football League. And that is the concern here, I think, for, for Snyder as well. If you were to look at kind of the totality of, of concerns about his ownership, I think this one kind of bubbles up to the highest. Well, yeah, let's not forget that Roger Goodell's job is to act on behalf of the owners like he is their face he is their representative so uh, for whatever misdeeds there might be every owner must ask him or herself could i withstand equal investigation could i withstand scrutiny am i going to be next if the spotlight is turned on me then you could see them saying okay no 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 we don't want you know we don't want anybody being thrown out or forced out this is not a precedent like donald sterling pretty easy. You had him using racist language on tape. You know, the players were talking about boycotts. Sponsors were pulling out from the team. That was a pretty, well, I don't want to say easy decision for Adam Silver because I know he agonized over it, but one of the easier decisions to make when you have an owner using that language on tape. If you can prove that he was indeed shortchanging his partners here, that also would be a pretty easy thing for owners to get behind and say, "Uh uh-uh, that we will not deal with. So let's put the cart miles ahead of the horse here, Scott. If the Washington commanders were to hit the market, oh. uh, how big a deal? We, we value them at $4.25 billion. That's sixth in, in the NFL. How big a deal would that be? Or would they just I've sell already, I've already got the Yes, I've already got the general partner and his chief LP. Okay. You, everybody, I think, knows the general partner. Hey, yes. Bezos, can Jeff I guess Bezos. on the LP? Jeff Bezos, yes. And is it a basketball player? It is a basketball player who yeah. has a Washington, well, probably old logo tattooed <laughs> somewhere on his body. Yeah, yes, old logo. Uh, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant would be first and foremost, hand up, pick me, please, Mr. Bezos. I would like to have a piece of this team. Uh, and then we would fill in further LPs, yes, as we went along. And so, who's saying no to that ownership group? Just just on just on face alone, th- those two people. As, as, they, as my kid says, nobody. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's finish up with the Masters. Tiger, Willie Woney. I don't know. I, if he's going to Augusta, and it amazes me that still the talk, so much talk is Tiger, and he moved the betting line, so much money. Tiger has got to be the house's best friend for so many years because so many people put the money, they just think about Tiger of yesteryear and just throw in the money, the money, the money, and he hasn't won in forever. And my God, it's the greatest thing for the sports books. But he puts out on social media, I'm up there, game time decision. How does he show up at Augusta, play, you know, whatever he's doing, get ready, and then say no? I got to think he's ready to go and he's going to play. There's a few things you said there that are that are spot on. It seems Ooh, to me from, get that. From, from from yeah no I think <laughs> there are a few things there. The the it seems to me from things I've read, um, the, the the question for Tiger seems to be whether he physically is able to to walk and 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 do 18 holes for for four straight days if he needs to. Uh, it seems like the game is maybe potentially ready there. The the stuff about the sports betting, Scott, you're so right about. I think it is so funny. Tiger Woods has been printing money for sports books for the past decade or so. You, you, essentially, no matter how 
wherever you hang the number, people are going to bet on Tiger Woods if he's playing. At some point last week, people moved the Masters number to 50 to 1. The idea that Tiger Woods would be 50 to 1 when he hasn't played a competitive event in so long, he physically may not even be able to walk the course. It, it's amazing to me that, that the way in which Tiger has consistently delivered uh, for sports books, with one glaring exception, obviously, being the 2019 Masters uh, when he won uh, and sports books took a huge beating on, on that. But as long as Tiger continues to play a lot and not win all that much, he is going to continue to be the best friend for people like DraftKings and FanDuel. Now, I, I don't remember what year it was, but I have walked the course, you know, with the Masters. And I got to tell you, you know, the, with the hills and everything, you get a little tired there at the end, you know, I'm in, I'm in worse shape now. I mean, you'd be just fine. You probably run it 8,000 times and, you know, snack <laughs> on your granola and whatever it would be, you and your... What, on sneakers, right? What do you, what kind of sneakers are you you rocking I'm these days? I'm running on right now. Yeah, see, yeah. Right, yeah, there you go. See, I've got the old Adidas that I bought like at the Payless two years ago, but they're all they're all good. So <laughs> you're you're Mr. Ultra Marathon guy, but like it's it's not as easy as you think. It's just that's all. I mean, it, it is not as easy as you would think. And I was there at Torrey Pines as well. How about mm-hmm. me getting real into golf? Huh? I don't do this very often. When Tiger was, when, I think he went to the uh, he went to. Uh, the an extra overtime with Rocco Media oh, was it Rocco yeah, Media? Yeah, 2004. Yeah, when he was playing on one knee, in essence, right? Mm-hmm. And and like every time he'd swing in the tour, he'd grimace in pain. So you know, he he just you're just like, wow, man, this guy somehow he's got mind over matter and he can make it. But still, like you said, like he is the sports book best best friend. And if we do a Masters daily, how about we do how much how much has been bet on <laughs> Tiger Woods and like and how much just went to the house. And how much do the TV partners love it also? Sure, right? if, you would in, ask, yeah. if you would ask CBS four months ago, is Tiger going to play in the Masters? I would think they would have told you, no, not a yeah. shot, but we're, we're hoping to have him in 2023. Turns out, yeah, he could be and, and could be at the start on Thursday, the biggest story in the tournament. I, I know executives have said in the past, roughly 40% bump for, for TV ratings when Tiger is in contention or when he's playing in events that there is a massive, massive still surge in interest every time he plays. It can't last forever, Scott, but I feel like you and I have been saying that for years now. And here we are in 2022 and it is still a fact about the business of professional golf in America. Uh, Casey Martin, let, let, let Tiger have a cart for every other hole and let his kid hit every other shot. We're fine. I, I would watch that. <laughs> okay. I would watch that. No, there's, but there is one travesty at Augusta this year. Do you know what it is? One travesty. One Do they travesty. raise the prices of the of the food? They inflation. Well, they, they did raise. I think a beer is okay. now five bucks instead of four or whatever. They they did raise prices for some of the items. But you're on the right track. But it's not prices related. It's a su- supply supply chain problem. Supply some sort chain or problem. Yes, there's an uh, item that you will pimento? not have. No, no pimento? the pimento cheese. No, no, you you oh. can still get that. No, <laughs> okay. no, no, no. But you can't you can't get the peach ice cream sandwich. Oh. Yeah, it's almost no reason to go. <laughs> yeah, why, why are we even holding the event? To be honest, <laughs> yeah, I mean, why? It's, I mean, if you can, if I can't get my peach ice cream sandwich, I mean, I think Mike Buteau would back me up on this one. That you know, if you can't have it, you might as well just stay home. It's not even worth doing. You agree? Have you been? Have you been? Have you ever gone? I've never been. No, no, I'd love to at some point. Um, and I, unlike you, if I my name came up in the lottery to play it, I would uh, move heaven and earth to uh, to make sure I played it and not turn it down uh, like I know you did that one year. Well, no, no, not, not that I did. That I, I was plotting to, just oh, to make, okay. just oh, to make some your news. Name, I thought your name came up one year. No, 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 no. No, no oh, I okay. told Mike Buteau, who was our golf writer at the time at our former outlet, what I what I was. I believe he's actually played it twice. He did I think, play. Yeah, I know he's played it at least twice. Once. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you should have seen his face. Like he was incredulous. <laughs> he was, you can't do that. I'm like, sure, I can. No, you can't. You can't do. As if I was angering the gods. He was ready to let me have it, man. <laughs> there is there is no sporting event where the like aura of tradition uh, overhangs everything more so than the Masters. Unlike any other. There you go. Very simple. All right. He is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on the Twitter at Soshnick. Our producer is Matt Whitehurst. Thank you very much, Matt. Our digital media editor got the title right is Core Veltman. She loves when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Media Network. 